welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. going to look into God's Word this morning at Matthew, the 24th chapter, um, beginning at verse 36, all the way to the end of Matthew 25. So that's, a, that's about uh, probably 70 verses, and I'm not going to read them all. I'll read some selected ones to you. And uh, in the interest of time this morning, uh, there, uh, we, we won't show all of them, but I'll call out the particular scriptures that, that we will read. And then um, the corresponding scriptures with the points, we can put those on there and you can read them along as, as uh, we're getting into God's Word. Um, what, what this is about is that Jesus was talking to his followers and his disciples about the certainty of his coming again for his people, the certainty of the second coming. But during this time, he uses several parables to illustrate and describe how his followers, his servants, should conduct themselves and what should be the motivation of our heart as we're in anticipation of the Lord coming back. And so today, uh, in the middle of our series, Serving God and Serving People, This is serving now in the light of eternity. And when we consider eternity and the words of Jesus, it certainly should change the way that we serve and what we're looking for and what we anticipate. I once had a ministry ministry position that required a lot of flying miles, for me anyway. I was... I'd only flown a few times, and, uh, and I, I still don't like traveling. I'd rather really be on the ground than in the air. That's what it boils down to. And for several reasons, sometimes I fall asleep up, up in the air. And it, how many know falling asleep in an airplane is different than falling asleep in your bedroom? You make noises and everything else, and you don't have any wife to poke you in the ribs. It's like you wake up and people are going, like, look at it. You know, so. But anyway, I was uh, relatively new at flying, and, and uh, it didn't take long for me to become experienced, and I was flying about 100,000 miles a year and became a member of what they call the Platinum Club. And, and so uh, my airline of choice was American Airlines because they serviced Springfield, Missouri, and they started out with TWA, and they always flew through St. Louis, just the nature of it, then, away, then on they went. And so um, I had... I had come back home, and I was ministering up above Westminster in my brother-in-law's church on a Sunday morning, and I left in plenty of time to reach BWI, uh, lots of time. It was raining, so I allowed more time for that, and they, everyone said, you, you don't have to worry about a thing. Well, as it would happen, I got on 695, and there was this huge backup where we just stopped. Stopped. How many have ever been in that situation? You get into the airport, and you've got to reach it, and the clock is—it won't—it won't stop. The only thing that stopped is you, 
And, and so after the longest while, uh, the traffic started to clear up. And, and I thought, Lord, help me, please. I'm not checking any bags. If, if I go as hard as I can, I've got to return this rental car. I've got to do a whole lot of things. May the shuttle be lined up. May everything work and I can get in there. And this was pre-911. So I, I run up. And I say to the, to the person, uh, one of the ticket agents, I said, uh, look, I, where is my flight? I just ran through the doors. I didn't have time to look at the, at, at the display board. And I said, I'm, I'm on flight so-and-so, American Airlines, I'm, I'm going to miss it. And I'll never forget, she said, you, if you run, you'll make it. So I'm trying to do an O.J. Simpson. Remember that through the thing? Uh, you can imagine me and O.J., it just, no, there's no comparison. I'd beat him every day. So anyway, I said, where is it? And she said, it's gate three. I said, okay. And I said, where's that? She said, it's at the end. I was so intent on getting to the gate all the way at the end. I had my rollerboard and I don't know what in the world else I had, probably some kind of folding things because everyone wore suits in that day. I mean, I'm just going, 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 trying not to bump people over, running. I'm having a heart attack. I run all the way to the end of the terminal, and I said, where's gate three? Where's gate three? They said, it's at the beginning. I turned around and... I'm thinking, I hope my life insurance is paid up. I'm surely going to die. I run all the way up, and I get to gate three, and they're closing the door. And I said, please let me in. They said, no, we've checked all the passengers off, and the door closed in front of me. I'd missed the flight. I'd taken and trusted someone's instructions who should have known. I didn't know, I was such a novice, I didn't, I didn't even know how terminals were numbered. I took their instruction that it was at the end when it really was at the beginning. And I missed the flight. Missed the flight. And Jesus talks about there's two types of people in this earth. Some will make the flight but others will miss the flight. The door will be closed. There's a flip side of that coin. Uh, one of my colleagues said, man, you, you, ought to, you ought to buy a membership to the Platinum Club and, uh, or to, to the Admiral Club. And I said, what in the world is the Admiral Club? He said, you don't know what the Admiral Club is? I said, I have no idea what the Admiral Club is. He said, you've got to get it. He said, it only costs, I don't know, 75 bucks a year and he said it's in all the major airports and it's this sometimes really posh club and there's leather seats and there's food in there. It's for American Airline customers and, and he said it's, it's really terrific. And I, I paid the money and I got on, got on that because I found out that when I missed that first flight that I don't ever want to spend two and a half hours again hanging out in a Burger King in an airport waiting for the next flight to come in. And then within that 
first year, the flying picked up, and I, then I became what they call a member of the Platinum Club. And this is the, here's the flip side of it. From then on, I had this number, and I had this ID number that I could quote you now, but I don't want anyone to use it. And, and even though I'm no longer a member, if I call them and they say, we see that your membership expired, but I just, she said, what was your membership? And I said, okay, well, we'll help you again. And I don't know how many times that I was able to call the Platinum Club because I was going to miss a flight or I had to have a connecting flight. I had to be in some city. And I'd call and say, this is Paul Dross, or this is my confirmation number. Oh, I see Mr. Dross, you're a member of the Platinum Club. How can I help you? And I'd tell her. And they'd put me in another airline, and there were several times they even put me on another airline other than American Airlines because I was a member of the club. I had prepared for every eventuality. I remember, uh, this, was, this was a while ago, Chris was with me in Atlanta. It was the night of the Tyson-Spinks fight. Remember when, he, when Spinks bit his ear off? You remember that? And the Atlanta airport was just wall-to-wall. People are sitting there everywhere. I know what we're going to do. I call up, hello, this is Paul Dross. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, you're a member of the Platinum Club. Yeah, we need to get out of here. I've got to get... They said, okay, Mr. Dross, let's see if we can put you on another flight. And guess what? They put us on another flight. No more sitting on the floor and, and waiting and, and wondering if we're going to, when in the world we're ever going to get out of there. Jesus talked about the second coming, and he said that we can either be prepared for the second coming, or we can live as though it doesn't exist, or that we can follow the wrong instructions in life and be sincere, and yet miss the flight. And there's four parables that I want to share with you this morning. There are several different ones here, but there's four that really highlight that. Serving now in the light of eternity. It has to do with serving people and serving God, but it also has to do about why we serve, who we serve, and being prepared in our priorities. The first thing he said in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 6, if you'd bring that up, he said, be ready. Be ready for his coming. Be ready. And I'll give you the four right now. They're not in your notes, but it's be ready, be wise, be trustworthy, and then you can be hopeful. Be ready for his coming. He said that, Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flask along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And in the Scripture, in the Old Testament, Yahweh, Yahweh, God, was called the bridegroom of His people. Today, Jesus Christ is called the bridegroom of His, and we're the bride, His church. And Jesus describes this. He said, to be ready for my coming. Be watchful, for it is certain. He said, don't let it be like in the days of Noah, that they were 
carrying on normal, I'm sorry, don't be like the, be like the wise virgins. Uh, I, I'm jumping to, to uh, point number two. Um, he said, always be ready. Be hopeful in your anticipation. In the Old Testament, Yahweh was the husband of his people. And in biblical times, a young woman would be betrothed to a man and then for a whole year at least she would live in her father's house. And then at the end of that time period, he would come to her father's house to claim his bride and then they would go to the marriage feast. You and I are looking for Jesus Christ to come back because there is going to be a marriage feast of the Lamb one day that we have the opportunity to celebrate with Him. Be ready for it. And he said this, that he said there were, there were ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. And what would happen, the bridegroom would go out with his people and, and they would go with a shout and they would announce that now the wedding feast is ready and they would come. And he said that the five wise, they were, they were desirous of the Lord. They were prepared. They had extra oil for the journey. And the oil in those lamps was different than the lamp that Jesus said, you're the light of the world in Matthew 5. You remember that where he said, you, you put it on a stand and it was a little like a pottery thing. But this was more like a bowl on the end of a stick, like a torch. And it was filled with cloth and it was saturated with oil. And to be sure, they would carry flask of oil along with them so that, so that they could keep the flame burning bright, lighting the path. It must have been quite a sight in the middle of the night to have, have the wedding party or the attendees coming and hearing these shouts and trumpets and probably drums and tambourines and seeing this parade of bobbing lights as they came along and they're coming to where the wedding feast was. The Bible says that, however, the bridegroom was delayed. And I'm reminded of the Scripture that says, many says, where's the promise of His coming? How many know that just because it hasn't happened in our time frame doesn't mean it is not going to happen? That does not change the certainty of what Jesus says. And so they all fell asleep. The ten virgins fell asleep. All of them, they became drowsy. But all of a sudden the noise came and the five sprung up and they're ready to go because they prepare themselves. And the five foolish virgins said, wait, wait, wait. We don't have enough oil to make it on this journey. Give us some of yours. And they said, we can't. No, no. If we give it to you, we're not going to have it. So they went along and they came. They were welcomed into the wedding feast of the, uh, of the wedding feast. They told them in, <laughs> at midnight, they said, you go and buy some from someone that sells oil. How many know that would be extremely hard to find someone that sells oil and then still you had to get them out of bed and everything else? Remember when the widow came and wanted, she wanted bread? Remember that? And she appealed to the judge. She said, go away. It's midnight. It's time to sleep. But because of her 
importunity because she would not be denied. And whatever it was, I can't imagine one oil seller withstanding five women anyway. I mean, they're absolutely determined. Give it, give us some, give us some. So we gave them some. And I said, oh, good, we're fine. And they go on their journey, and they knock on the door of the wedding feast, and the master comes to the wedding feast. And they said, we're here, we're here. He said, we don't know you. And he shut the door in their face. Jesus was saying that there's only one time to prepare, and that's now. It's not after he comes that we start getting ready. Well, there's one time to prepare this right now. The Lord wants us to anticipate his blessed hope that it's such a value, his coming, that it governs the way that we live, that we live now in the light of eternity. That we don't fall asleep, that we don't become drowsy, that we don't take a nap that we don't become so full of the blessings of God at the Sunday meal that we go over in the easy chair and we just sort of sleep it off for a while. And how many know I, I enjoy a good nap on Sunday afternoons? And it can be my leather recliner, it can be my bed. Quite frankly, I'm not really that particular as long as I get it all right. And I like a nice meal. But Jesus said, don't live like that. Don't live like all there is in life is how much I've blessed you. Live in anticipation that I'm coming back. It's the blessed hope of the church. But he also said this. There's also another important lesson. It's, it's one of the reasons, friends, that we do connect groups. Because you and I become like the people that we hang out with. There's no exception to this. We become like the people that we hang out with because we hang out with people because we want their friendship and the price of friendship and acceptance is a group in a group is that you accept their way of doing things and their values, you accept their culture. So if the only friends that we have are those who are not followers of Jesus Christ, their heart is not set on the Lord's coming. Their heart is not set on kingdom values. Their heart is set on maybe good things. Maybe you like to golf or hunt or fish or boat. And there's nothing wrong in those things. God's created this earth and, and enjoy it. Except I rarely enjoy golfing. I enjoy the people I'm with, but I never enjoy my score, so I do other things. But we adopt the values of those that we hang out with. And so we do connect groups because we stir up one another to love and to good works and we hold each other accountable. And because 1 Corinthians 12 said that the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And you and I cannot say to other members of the body of Jesus Christ, I don't need you and I'm good enough just by myself. It's just me and Jesus. It is not just you and Jesus. It is me and Jesus. It's like the song we used to sing when we were kids. Way, remember what a Jesus and others and you, what a wonderful way to spell joy. How many remember that song? 
me and my wife. All right, yeah. Gee, yeah, I'd sing it now, but I'm not going to ruin it. All right. But it was Jesus and others and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. Um, Put Jesus first, and then others serving them and their need, and then yourself last, because God will take care of me. This world is not about Jesus, others, and you. It is about you. And then others that can add value to your life. And lastly, there might be something over, a little dribble that you can give to God. That's what this world was about. Is that true or not? Yes. And so we do small groups because I, I believe if those five foolish virgins had hung out with those five wise virgins, they would have been ready, just like the five, five wise men. Even Paul said, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. The second thing that he said was this. I want to I back up because um, I jumped right into two, but it's to be ready for his coming. He said, when I come, he said, it's like the days of Noah. People will be carrying on normal life, working in the field, one taken, one left. But he said, when I come, it's going to be like a thief in the night. He said, if the master of the house had been prepared and watching, the thief never would have broken in. Um, my wife and I had the privilege of spending two weeks in India with, with um, P.S. Rajamoni and his wife. And um, the church has supported them for years. Um, he, and we, it was just, we had a wonderful time. But they had a, they, in, in India, uh, for, they had this watchman that sat on a bench and uh, the front of their house that was on a, vi- a very busy city street. But he had a whistle because the crime rate was high. People were destitute. I mean, it's just, just the condition of things. It, and his job was to stay awake all night long because the thief would come in the night. And the Rajamonis slept, I think, was it upstairs? But whatever it was, they, they had this guy. The next morning, we came down. We're used to seeing him, and he wasn't there. And we said, what happened? He said, um, so we, we went to get a drink of water and check on the watchman in the middle of the night, and he was sleeping. And they fired him. Then and there, jobs are really scarce in India. And Americans were thinking, oh, my goodness, how cruel. They're thinking, oh, no, we hired the man to be ready so no one would break in. Right? They just fired him. And I said something later, and basically the reply was, he's lucky we're Christians because everyone else would have beaten him with rods. Okay, that was, that was the reply. And Jesus said, he's coming back, but you and I can't let our guard down. We can't be lulled to sleep. This world is not our home. I'm grateful for the country we live in. How about you? I love the ministry. I love what God's doing. I love what I see. I love that, that uh, Jordan Parker and Charles Wollard have just accepted my understanding. Both of them have now full-time positions in ministry. I just love that. That's a product of you guys. Do you know that 
America is alarmed at the few number of people going into full-time ministry. Are you aware of that? This has been, it's a trend that's been going on for 15 or 20 years. A lot of research to be done. And because of our children's ministry and youth ministry, and I watch kids seeking God around the altar and hear the stories of what's going on. Parents, you're faithful and you're bringing them to church. And I absolutely love this. I love this environment. God is so good. But I also will tell you, I, I want him to come back. How about you? And this is my life that God has given to me, but this isn't all that there is to life. The third thing is be a trustworthy steward. This is found in Matthew 25, beginning at 14. And what this is, Jesus said that there was a very wealthy man and he went away and he called three servants or slaves in. And it, he's illustrating how Jesus expects us as his followers to work for the night is coming and to expand his kingdom. And he said, for the kingdom of heaven is like there's a wealthy man and he came in and He's going away on a long journey, and no one knew he's going to come back, and he got at least three of the servants there, and he probably had a whole lot more because the man was a gazillionaire. Abraham, we know, had 318 servants, they all, male servants. They all saddled up and went after Lot. Remember when Lot was carried off? And that's a picture of, of God, what he did through Jesus Christ for us. It's that patriarchal picture that Abraham said, I will not stand down and I put everything on the line until my kinfolk is rescued. And, and that was out of that patriarchal society. When Jesus Christ came, it was because the Father sent him. And Jesus said, I don't want to do this, Heavenly Father, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And Jesus Christ is the eldest son, in fact, the only son, the, the most precious thing that a father could have. He, he let him hang on the cross for you and for me. He paid the price so he could rescue us back. And that's what the Bible's all about. And so Jesus this man, this master goes on a long journey, gave one of them five talents, and, and it's, this is not about whether you have, I don't know, music talents or not. That's not what, if, it, it's about whatever God's given you, multiply for his glory. That's what it's about. But in this instance, it was money, because money, capital, is a living thing. How many know that? You know, the Greek word for interest used here in this story is the same word as offspring. When the master said, give me my money back with interest, it is giving my money back with the offspring that it could make. Money is a living thing. And so if you, if anyone is hoarding money, hoarding money, not trusting the banks and putting it in the, in the corner of the garage, that's your affair, but you've just basically, it's dead. Are you aware of that? But I'm not going to say anymore, just pay your ties first, and I won't say anymore. Do your gym now pledge. I won't say anymore. But anyway, so the, he said, he called him in, and he said, make money. What it was, expand my influence, my kingdom. Expand this. Work for me. And you know the story that after a long time, he came back to settle his accounts. And just after this, Jesus talks about this, the king himself. The only place it's mentioned in Matthew that by himself that he's the king and he's also the son of man. He said he, come, he will come back one day with all of his angels from glory. 
and he will judge all the nations. All of us will stand before him. And he said this, that he came back and, and the, the man with the five talents, and it, it's my understanding it, it could be millions of dollars, he came in and he said, okay, what'd you do? And the guy said, Master, I've doubled your money. Here it is. The next guy with two talents came in and he said, Master, I've doubled your money to both of them. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. How many like being in the joy, the joy of Jesus Christ, the joy of our heavenly master or whoever is over us in the Lord or, or, or authority in this life? He said, enter it. But he went to the one guy that he gave one talent to, and he said, okay, let's settle accounts. What would you do? And what the guy did, he blamed the master. He blamed him. He said, you're harsh. You're harsh. And because you're harsh, you scared me. And because you scared me, I took your money, and I buried it in the ground, and here it is. It's all yours, now take it. And the master said, now hold it just a minute, buddy. Those weren't my instructions. My instructions, I gave you capital. My instructions were to put it on the line. My instructions to do what it took to, to make more. And your other fellow servants, they've done that. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. Jesus realized it was not because he was scared of the man. That, had, that was the farthest thing from it. It was because he was full of excuses. He was ready to blame somebody else. And what he did, he buried it in the ground. And the reason he buried it in the ground, listen to this. And the master knew this. He buried it in the ground so it would be out of sight and out of mind. And he wouldn't have to worry about it. And he could go on pursuing what he wanted to pursue in life. The man really, the wicked servant, tried this game of throwing a bone to God. and Saying, I'll show up once in a while to church and I'll throw a few bucks in the offering plate or I'll do this and I'm good, just leave me alone, God, and I'll do this and I'll go on and I'll serve I'll do what I want to do for my own priorities. Is there an amen in the house? Listen, friends, the kingdom of heaven is about our heavenly Father who sent his best to rescue you and to rescue me. And our response can be none other but to serve him with all of our heart and to be looking and longing for his coming. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe if this wicked and lazy servant had really wanted to follow out the instructions that he would have hung out with the two faithful servants. That's what I believe. He would have hung out with them. They would have, they would have picked up on it right away. Oh man, you can't do that. This is what we got to do. This is what his instructions were. But how many know it's always easier 
It's always easier to do your own thing when you're not in accountability with anybody else. It's another reason that we do connect groups here at Grace. We decided that's what we're going to do. Because God cares about us. And you have something to contribute, and I have something to contribute, and other people have something to contribute to your life. We have, we have a men's, men's Bible study. The, the, the new phase of it will begin on February the 6th at 6.30 here in Friendship Hall. A.M. Yes, A.M. That's so uh, people that uh, just trying to get people uh, in and out the door. If you work at Aberdeen Proving Grounds, that you can be here and you, and you can get there by 8 o'clock and uh, find a parking spot. And, and, and uh, the leader said, hey, I can do it at 6 if, if that's what it, whatever it takes. But there's something about walking together with men. Do you know, men, you know what the research shows? That 78% of men in the church regularly view pornography. And I understand that viewing pornography at first, it happens out of curiosity. But, but curiosity is the bait that Satan uses to set the hook. And it's easy to do it by yourself, hunched over a glowing PC screen in the middle of the night. But it does something to you. It does something to those you're in a relationship with. God has something better for us than that. It's one of the reasons that, one of the reasons that we, we do life together and I'm convinced that this man, this wicked servant, if he'd, he'd only hung out with colleagues, it would have been a different outcome. The last thing I want to share with you is this, that there is coming a day that you, you, we can be hopeful. We can be hopeful. Paul said, therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work is not in vain. Your work is not in vain. What Jesus said, that there's promises of reward and warnings of judgment that everyone will stand, and there are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. Everyone will stand. Sheep and goats, sheep and goats. We stand before the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. I was, I was in, uh, at North Point Bible College this past week teaching a group of pastoral students that had to take my class in order to pass, and uh, I was so thrilled with them. Um, someone said teaching undergrads is not for the faint of heart. This was an absolute joy. I mean, everyone has turned their assignments in on time. They're blowing my cell phone up because it's linked to Canvas where they submit it. And I had like, I had like 46 texts one night. Bing, so-and-so's, bing, it's just going off, bing, in the middle of the night. They stay up a lot later than I do. That's all I can say. Bing, 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 it's going off. But it was a joy. It was a joy to have them in that class. And by the way, at the end of the class, spontaneously get up, those young men and women, and they got around me, and they shook my hand and thanked me and hugged me. Now, how's, how about that? And I don't think it was because the class was over. I think it was a good class. 
but your labor's not in vain. And I was sitting there one night, the heat was down, oh, it was 15 degrees outside, and I'm moaning to my wife, and I said, what in the world? And, you know, and I, I really, you know, I was fine. They gave me a space heater, and I layered up and wore my socks to bed, and how many know you're fine? I mean, you're not going to freeze. And all of a sudden, a phone call comes. It's a guy that I went to Bible college with 40 years ago, Walt. We've been big buddies. He was, he was 12 years older than I was, and he was out of New Jersey. He was sassy. He was arrogant. He was just this huge motor, but he loved the Lord, and he went on and did some really great things in ministry, and then his marriage ended in divorce, and then he lived with someone. He was away from God for years, years and years and years, and and. She died. Two years ago, we reconnected. And then he called me out of the blue the other night. And he said, Paul, I just want to come and visit you. He said, you were a friend. Friend. Forty years later, you've been a friend. I want to encourage you that you can be hopeful because your work in the Lord is not in vain. It makes a difference to somebody. It makes a difference. One day we're going to stand before the Lord and, and He said this, that we're going to come, everyone, and He's going to say, enter into my joy. And He said, because when I was hungry, you fed me, and I was naked, you clothed me, and I was in prison, and you visited me. And they're going to say, what in the world? What are you talking about? What? He said, no, every time you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. John Wesley said, as a servant of God, we should take every occasion we can to serve our fellow man, humbly serve, even though is in low circumstances, because as we serve them, we are literally serving Jesus Christ himself. But then there were the goats, and he said, depart from me. And they said, what? What do you, he said, because you didn't feed me. And they said, Lord, when did we ever have an opportunity? And he said, he said, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And they said, what are you talking about? He said, the least of these. Because you had other things on your mind. Other things on your mind. Dr. Martin Luther King said this, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? What will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? You and I have been blessed abundantly. It's not that good works, that we do good works to get into heaven, but good works are evidence of the servant's heart before God. It means that we have an eye out for the least, the lost, the suffering. Could be poor, could be wealthy, could be rich, could be a person of position. It doesn't make any difference. But when we serve them in Jesus' name, when we minister to them, we minister to Jesus Christ himself. And the condemnation was for the goats that they had other priorities on their mind. They lived as though 
other people weren't important, and what was important is what they wanted to do. So one day, all of us are going to stand before his throne, and there's only two people, two types of people. One type, we're going to make the flight. I intend to be on that. How about you? Yeah. But there's another type of person. The door is going to be shut, and there's no more opportunity. But you can be hopeful. You can change. You can change. You can call the platinum line. Amen. You can call out and say, look, I'm not where I need to be, where I want to be. Can you help me? God never turns us down. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can enter the joy of the Master right today. Praise His name. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would.